0: Hello, this is Father Mike Walker of Father Mike's Podcast, Father Mike's Bible Study Podcast, and the Catholic Combine, the pastor of St. Cecilia Catholic Church in Beaverton, Oregon. If you would like more information about the parish or the podcast, please feel free to email me at frmikewalker at gmail.com. And now, today's podcast. So about 25 years ago, I was blessed to be able to visit Israel and spend a few weeks there. And one thing I noticed about Israel was that it looks a lot like a combination of Oregon and California. Uh, If you're down in the south or in the deserty areas, uh, I noticed that a lot of the weeds and plants actually look very similar to many of the plants and weeds in different areas in California. You get closer to the coast, then you start noticing the, the area looks a little like the natural area would look around the southern california coast and if you go north in israel you'll notice that a lot of the area looks a little like oregon in many ways so they have the hills and the trees and the mountains and there's a lot of diversity when it comes to its its look and its geography and sometimes we get this picture in our mind that israel is this big huge country but it's pretty small so it's pretty amazing that there is such diversity in the way that it that it looks and the way that it is uh, geologically and geographically. Uh, in this case, Caesarea Philippi is in the northern region of Israel, and I liked the look of it because to me it looked a little like Oregon. You know, it had a lot more lush greenery and trees and, and a lot of water. And one thing I noticed is there was this backdrop of this cliff in the mountains between Israel and Lebanon, and in the, the bottom part of that, there was this big stone plateau. And coming up from there was the water that would bubble out of the rock itself, out of the ground, and it became the headwaters to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is the main river in Israel that goes all the way from the north all the way down to the Dead Sea in the far south of Israel. And so my thought was that that this is where Jesus uh, explained his plan to build the church and to do that through Peter and the apostles. And my idea my reflection was at the time is that here you have that life-giving water of Christ that that comes up and Then flows down into the rest of Israel to give life to the nation and That is what the church is supposed to be that it's supposed to be the life-giving water of Christ uh, That goes out into all the world and gives life and nourishment uh, to the whole world. You know the new Israel and uh, That was one reflection that I had while I was there But also, if you look to the the cliff part, uh, you'll notice that there are a lot of different shrines from other different religions and other different cultures. Uh, There are at least 14 different shrines that are Canaanite gods that are in those cliffs. There was a Greek temple, there was a Roman temple, there were Phoenician gods, and it was something that was almost like a regional hub for all these different religions that would go up there to some sort of pilgrimage. And this is the setting that Jesus uses When he comes to his disciples and he just says, well, who do the people say that I am? And who do they say that the Son of Man is? And they come up with a lot of different options. Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Well, they're speaking in the hypothetical at this point. And it's easy to speak in the hypothetical. Uh, you would almost imagine at some point, if it were a modern thing, Jesus would say, well, we got 38.6% 38, 38. of the people say John the Baptist, and 12.6% of the people say Elijah, you know, so I'll just decide who I am based on however they vote. You know, but that is not how it works. You know, Jesus knows who he is. But he's asking the question to engage the disciples to what they may have heard around them. And to a certain degree, if I were to ask all of you, what have you heard about Jesus. Uh, you would probably have a lot of different answers. You know, oh, Jesus, he's, uh, he's a nice guy. You know, Jesus, well, yeah, he's someone who lived a long time ago, like 1984. You know, and uh, uh, some might say, oh, Jesus, yes, uh, he's that, you know, social justice, justice warrior. You know, or Jesus, yes, he's a conservative Republican. You know, and anyway, they would all have their ideas. Um, but again, Jesus doesn't just explain who he is based on what other people might think you know so he asks the follow-up question you know but who do you say that I am For his disciples that's the more important question because you can always ride the fence and you can always talk in hypotheticals you know oh yeah Jesus they say this they say that they say this but what do we believe that's that's a different thing because it's hard to ride the fence if we believe something that requires some sort of response some sort of action and so when he asked the disciples there Uh, Saint Peter does what he does so well. He's spontaneous. If ADD existed in the ancient world, it would be Saint Peter. You know, he jumps out. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You'll notice that about Peter. He he loves to jump out. Just like in the boat, you know, like whenever he has something to say, he just says it. So, which I appreciate, to be honest with you. Okay, so then, as he says that, though, you know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got it right. But notice Jesus' response to him there. Because D- Jesus doesn't just say, "Yeah, good job, Peter. You figured it out." No, instead he says, "He says no human being has has done this for you. No one, no one else, not any, not even yourself, uh, has given you this insight. It was from your heavenly Father that this was revealed to you." And now that's that's actually much more important than we think, because most people, if you ask them, "Why do you believe what they what? Why do you believe what you do?" Uh, most would come to say, you know, well, I sat down and I figured it out, and this is what I believe. You know, but that's very different than Jesus saying, no, God revealed this to you. See, we belong to a revealed religion. Christianity is a revealed religion. It's not a religion that we figured out. It's not a religion that we sat down in our study and, and just kind of logically thought our way through it and said, ah, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, of course. You know, no, of course it conforms to our reality, it conforms to what is logical, what is reasonable, uh, that we're not absent from that part of the equation, but ultimately what we believe and why we believe has been revealed to us by God. And that's why Jesus tells Peter, this was revealed to you. So for us, if we want to know who Jesus is, that we should be open and humble engage ourselves in the process but allow him to reveal himself to us because that's how we get to know who he truly is by allowing him to tell us to explain to us to demonstrate who he truly is so that's a very important thing now after that of course jesus gives his plan so okay peter you got this right you know god revealed this to you now let me tell you what my plan is so that you're not the only one And so he begins to talk about the church. And he says, you, Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. So prior to this time, uh, Simon Peter, right, Simon was his name, or Cephas, sometimes you'll see that, but his name, Simon, was changed to Peter. And the reason is, is because Peter is the Greek word for rock, Aramaic is very similar, and that was Jesus saying, you are rock, and upon this rock, you, Peter, I will build my church. All right, and in the Old Testament, there were several times when people's names were changed. You may remember Abram being changed to Abraham. You know, First it just meant father, and then it got changed to father of nations. There was also Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And it was changed to Israel because he had that struggle with God, and the, the name Israel means struggle with God. And so now you have Simon, which is being changed to Peter, or Cephas to Peter. And so in that sense... Jesus is giving him, by that name change, direction in what his role is when it comes to Jesus' plan. That you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Again, that's important. Uh, Jesus uses the rock as a, as a sign of himself oftentimes. He'll say that, that he is the rock. He, you know, and the Psalms talk about that my rock, my salvation, uh, my steadfast place where, where I endure. And you'll also hear it used when Jesus talks about something that is solid and unchanging. When you build a house, build it on the rock. Don't build it on sand because the sand washes away, but the rock is stable. So in a similar way, he's telling Peter that you are rock. You are the stable foundation of the church that I will use in order to bring the church to the world. And so this is the, the, symbol, the symbolism that Jesus is using here. And then... He goes on from that, and he says, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, what we usually think of in that is like, well, the church, you know, we'll build our walls, and we'll kind of get in our little huddle, and and hell can't get in. You know, but that's not really what's being said. Um, In the ancient world, they did build walls around cities as a bit of a defense mechanism. And the gates of hell, think of that as the defense mechanism of hell, And here you have Jesus saying that the church is going to go out into the world and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in other words, the church is on offense, not defense. So the church is going out into the world and not even hell can stop Jesus from doing what he wants to do. Why? Because he's all-powerful. He's the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. And when he puts his plan into action, that creatures like Satan and the demons and, and hell itself cannot compare to the infinite power and the glory that God himself brings through his son Jesus Christ. So that is important for us to keep in mind, you know, that the church is not about huddling in our safe zone. It's about getting out into the world and bringing the power of the gospel, the power of Christ to those around us on offense, knowing that God is with us and that hell itself or itself will not be able to prevail. You know, so, again, that's another part of that. And then we also have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know, he's saying, I give you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So, those keys are a sign of authority. It's like in our modern world when people go into the city and they say, We give you the key to the city. It's a sign that there's a certain delegated authority. And in the first reading, we heard the keys being given. Uh, and the key of David. And so that that key is the authority of the kingship. And so often the the prime ministers or the second-in-command would be given the authority to make decisions in the name of the king. And so in this case, Jesus is saying, I've got all power and authority, the key, and I give those keys to you and the church in my name. So he's delegating that over. And so that means that when it comes to the church, that there's a certain delegation that we, as the church, have received through Christ, through Peter, and the apostolic succession that has continued for 2,000 years. And that is why that the church is the rock, in a sense, that it's, it's unchanging and unmoving when it comes to faith and morals. And so we as Catholics understand that, that, that the church is without error when it comes to its teaching and faith and morals. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not sin. There, it doesn't mean that there aren't popes that said things that, uh, that were scandalous and that doesn't mean that there's not corruption, but what it does mean when it comes to faith and morals that there is something secure, something unchanging. And that's really important in our changing world because every five minutes, you know, it's, oh, yeah, you know what you believed five minutes ago? Yeah, now believe this, you know, and it's like the culture changes all the time. But what has been consistent for 2,000 years is the gospel, and we have a share of that because of the preservation of the gospel, preserving those faith and morals for 2000 years and so we have a certain security in that so I should mention that that yes we know that like I I said that there is sin and there is corruption and and many things and sometimes people see that and they say you know well I just want to do it on my own it's like I don't think I need the church uh, because there's sin and corruption in the church bad things have happened in the church but I would just say do you apply that same logic to everything else you know like for example in any institution there's sin and corruption so if I'm going to follow that logic then I'm not going to do anything in any system of education I'm not going to go to any hospital I'm not going to go to any kind of sports or teams or anything like that I'm not going to do any secular institutes Um, I'm not going to involve myself in anything where there's more than two people you know so that's the problem with that mentality there's a divine sense of the church that we should be able to recognize and also recognize realistically that yes, sin exists because we are human beings and sin will always exist where there's more than one human being or self included. Well, the other danger is is that it can be easy for us to say something like if only the church were like me, you know, because then the church would be perfect. And since the church isn't perfect, I'm going to be me, the church of me. But here's the other thing about that. Because the church is revealed, it's not the church of Mike it's not even the church of Deacon Roley. You know, that, that when, when we belong to the Catholic Church, it's the universal church of Christ, because who founded the church? Remember, it wasn't a human idea. It was Jesus' idea, and so there's the divine aspect of that. I don't have to make up what we spo- what, what I should believe. I, I can receive what has been revealed to me, and then that gives me a little freedom, because if I have to make up every little thing along the way, then that that just makes life impossible when it comes to knowing what is eternally true. Okay, so now, moving on from that. In the 1930s, there was this movement that happened. It was called the Daredevil Movement. And so you may have seen things like this on TV or on the Internet where they're shooting people out of cannons and they kind of set up tightrope walking between big buildings and this sort of thing. They were doing all these really risky things. And so anyway, there's this one story where there's this this guy was up on a tightrope he had a wheelbarrow and he was going to walk the wheelbarrow over this tightrope from one skyscraper over to the next and so he looks down to the crowd and he said to the crowd do you all believe I can do this and they all look up and they say yes we believe you can do this and so then he looks down and he sees an individual down there and he says you sir do you believe that I can do this And then the individual looks up, he goes, yes, I believe you can do this. And so he says, well, then get up here and get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) So that's pretty risky, right? There's a certain vulnerability that happens in that kind of case. But that isn't too far off to what we are called to do as people who are disciples, people who are trying to be faithful because it can seem easier to stay down below and they just kind of watch from afar. You know, yay, Jesus, go, Jesus, you know, but we're kind of staying detached from the whole process. Um, but if you think about it, where are you actually safer? In Jesus' wheelbarrow or by yourself down below? You know, so, so sometimes what seems risky, like being a follower of Christ, engaging yourself in his life, in his action, allowing himself to reveal himself to you and to call you to a greater way of life, it seems a bit risky, but ultimately that is where your security, your safety, and your salvation is found. And so with all of this, I suppose that in this week we might want to consider that, you know, who do I say that Jesus is? And if you don't quite know the answer to that question, that's all right. We have tons of resources out there. Uh, We have the scriptures, we have church teaching, we have the catechism, we have the lives of the saints, we have the spiritual writers, we have the fathers of the church, We've got 2,000 years of discernment and testimony, and so spend a little time to look into that question. And then finally, if you do think that Jesus is who he says he is, then say, what is our response to that? You know, like Peter, are we willing to step out there as a person of faith, get in the wheelbarrow, and then allow Jesus to be able to lead us where we want to be, where he wants to lead us? And if that's the case, then we just need to continue to step out in faith, trusting that Jesus has a plan, and his plan will, uh, will come to Uh, fulfillment, and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. May God bless you and be with you as you live out your faith and serve the Lord this week.